Hi, everyone. My name is Simon, and I'm back to host another episode with Rachel today. Hi, guys. I'm Rachel, and welcome to another episode of Futures for Finance. This week's guest speaker is Emily Jimenez. Emily is currently at Goral Trading Company and has been working as an FX or equities trader since January of 2020. Prior to this experience, Emily was a portfolio management analyst at Hall Capital Partners, where she gained experience helping clients reach their financial goals. In addition, Emily was a co-founder and vice president of Hardline Capital, a business driven to empower women and minorities to achieve their personal and professional goals. Emily graduated in 2019 from Hofstra University with a Bachelor's of Science in Mathematical Finance. She would later go on to work towards her master's in computational and applied mathematics from Johns Hopkins Whitting School of Engineering. We're excited to have Emily share her experience in quantitative trading and finance. Hey, Simon. Hey, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's uh, really cool to be here. This is my first podcast, so it's pretty cool. Thank you. We're excited to have you. Okay, Emily, are you ready for your first question? Yep, shoot. Okay. For students who are interested in learning more about quant trading and what a day would look like, can you explain to our listeners what your day or week as a foreign exchange and equities trader looks like? And how does your role and responsibilities evolve over the last year by working at Goal Trading Company? Okay, so um, to start off, uh, what is, just to explain what quantitative trading is, unlike fundamental trading, we don't really look at the company's spreadsheets. We don't really look at their cash flows. We don't look at really any of their statements. We really look at patterns that happen throughout the market and we trade off of those patterns. How we find those patterns can be used by different mathematical processes, whether it's through stochastic processes or uh, statistical inferencing and whatnot. So um, that's just an important distinguishment to make. So what does a trader do at a quant fund? Specifically my fund, we trade currencies and equities. Quant funds can trade crypto, they can trade equities, they can trade commodities, they can trade basically anything, but we specifically trade FX and equities. My day-to-day responsibilities as a trader basically consist of monitoring our existing strategies that we have trading in place. And if something goes wrong, I have to, you know, look into the program and see why it failed. Maybe that would involve tweaking the program, you know, making a slight change to the code. What I also do is I also, um, which I guess would tie into the, the latter part of your question, how, how has my responsibilities evolved over time? Basically, in the beginning, it was just scraping, data mining, cleaning the data. That's all done through automation. So it's not every single day I have to go to Bloomberg and uh, get this data for them. I have to code a program that automatically gets this data from Bloomberg and be presented in a way that's useful to them because not all the data is useful. That's why you have to clean it. Also, coding is very precise. So you have to tell the computer exactly what you want out of the data that you want from Bloomberg. So yeah, that's basically the responsibilities day-to-day as a trader and slash researcher at Goral Trading. Thank you for like explaining what quantitative trading is. I know personally, like I didn't understand what trading meant. I thought it was like guys standing in like the New York Stock Exchange and, you know, bidding on like different (laughs) stocks. So that's super cool. So I guess my next question for you is, so you recently said you started 
um, your master's degree at John Hopkins in mathematics. So what made you decide to get a master's in the first place? And how do you think like it will develop your professional career as you grow through the finance industry? And how do you like manage like pursuing that degree while you're working at like a full-time job? Why I decided to get my master's at first I was contemplating getting a CFA, but then look, looking at where I want to be, I want I do like the quant industry. I want to stay here. Unfortunately for quantitative finance, a CFA is basically almost useless. Um, you learn a lot of fundamental finance in a CFA, and you really don't need a CFA at all to be quantitative researcher. Ultimately, they, they would like if you have a PhD. And ultimately, I do plan on trying to get my PhD once, I'm, once I graduate with my master's. Master's, I felt like was the logical next step. And why mathematics is because it's very universal, specifically statistics is very versatile. I wanted to make sure like, okay, I can f- further advance into the quantitative industry, but like say one day I didn't like, like, what do I do? I didn't want to completely pigeonhole myself. And, uh, you know, um, I have enough coding experience, um, and enough mathematics experience to, if I wanted to maybe one day get out of the quant industry, I could. So, but either way, I think, uh, mathematics is a really good major for any undergrad or graduate student to, um, really even major in or even put as a minor. How do I manage my degree while working full-time it's just a matter of time management and prioritization and you just really need to be on top of your stuff and it's definitely something that uh, I really wanted to do just to advance further in the quantitative industry actually I wouldn't have been able to advance further in the quantitative industry with just a bachelor's a lot of places don't hire unless you do have at least your master's for certain roles. And a lot of places don't hire if you don't even have your PhD. And why? It's a good filter. There's going to be a lot of people who are obviously applying to the same position. Quantitative finance is just a new wave that everybody is trying to get on. And there's a lot of money to be made. So it's a good way to filter out those who are um, serious about the position. Another reason why firms really only hire sometimes people with PhDs is um, one of the firms that I interned at they said that they really only hired people with PhDs just for investor purposes. They personally didn't care that if you had your PhD or your master's or your bachelor's, they just, if you could do the work, that's all they really care about. But some investors are very keen on on how many PhDs are at a firm, especially if you're a small boutique hedge fund. They said that they you know, lost a lot of potential investors just based off the fact that they didn't really have as many PhDs as other boutique hedge funds have. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I think it helps our listeners and students to consider more possibilities after their undergraduate studies and to make themselves seem like better candidates before applying for jobs. And while you were in your undergraduate studies, you co-founded Hardline Capital. Can you tell us a little more about what Hardline Capital is and what the process is like to start this? and the impact it had on your career? Yeah, so I initially started Hardline for the women and minorities that want to break into the finance industry. For them, it's pretty hard, and it still is hard. Uh, If you look at the statistics, people like to think, oh, Wall Street is predominantly white and Asian, but even for the Asian minority, it's it's still very hard. Only 12% are in managerial roles, and 
5% are in executive roles. And this is for the Asian population. For the female population, it's basically almost the same. Their executive role percentage is even lower than that. I know 2.7% of executives are Black. 3% of Wall Street are actually Hispanics. So it's predominantly white. It's The old boys club is still very much alive. The old boys club kind of like her used for, you know, it's really through connections and family connections. That's really how a lot of Wall Street works, from my experience, at least. Minorities don't really have as many connections to Wall Street as white people. So I kind of wanted to bring these experiences of minorities on Wall Street and how they got there in the first place. I I was a senior when, when we finally got accepted, so I can't really speak for what's happening uh, currently, um, I think currently they're, from what I've seen, they've been doing a pretty good job. When I was there as vice president, we had like different minorities come in that were executives on Wall Street, and it was pretty uplifting and a pretty cool way to network. For example, one guy, he is the owner of a macro fund, and he actually was an immigrant from Lebanon. And uh, he came to speak just about how diversity was so important, right? Especially for minorities, we all grew up in very different cultures. And, you know, diversity, just as one wants to diversify their portfolio, you need to diversify your thought process as well and who's, who you're surrounded with. And it's actually been statistically proven that those with diversified boards actually do have a 20% increase in profits. So I wanted to bring this type of awareness to Hofstra just because it's a predominantly white school, and especially their business school. Their business school is also 60% male and 40% female. So even then, you know, I just felt like minorities, they aren't really, their voices aren't really heard, and they should be. And that's basically the essence of why the club was started. That was super interesting, because I, I obviously am part of Hardline at Hasha, and I kind of didn't know that that you actually like started the club from the ground up. So that was kind of cool. As a recent undergraduate, what advice do you have for students who are looking for an internship or a full job? Did you utilize any resources at your school to help you find an internship or a, your full-time job? I would say to those who are still studying an undergraduate to try to get as many internships as possible. In this market today, I, our generation, Generation Z, is the most educated generation there is thus far. I believe it's 56% of us have undergraduate degrees or are going to graduate or in school currently. Um, with that said, the market is super saturated with people who have bachelor's degrees. So you need to make yourself stand out somehow. And with that said, how do you make yourself stand out? Do a major that nobody else is doing or a minor that nobody else is doing. Um, for me, I was a finance major, but I switched to mathematical finance uh, just because nobody really wants to do that. That actually brought attention to a lot of people that I interned at during the interviews. They're like, wow, you're studying mathematical finance. How is that? Like, it's different from finance. And to be honest with you, I think it's more useful because, you know, with Wall Street becoming more automated, you kind of need to learn math. So even if it's just your minor, I think that's great. Um, but I would say definitely try to give yourself an edge with what you study. And also try to give yourself as many internships as well. That'll also give you an edge because like I said, everybody has, um, and it, everybody has a bachelor's degree nowadays. So set yourself apart by graduating with experience already. Um, you know, and I can tell you definitely firms will take 
you know, the kid with the three internships and 3.0 GPA over the kid with no internships and a 4.0 GPA, just because they have more real world experience, not just textbook experience. What can I say about like utilizing the school resources? I would say that try to network with your professors and the deans and everybody there. I personally know somebody who um, got got a job offer at Citibank. You know, Hofstra isn't really considered a target school. It's considered a non-target school, which makes it harder for people at Hofstra, unfortunately, to get into um, places like Goldman Sachs or Citibank or any of those bulge bracket banks, unfortunately. So the way to get in there and how my friend got in there was through networking. She she became very close with the business dean and she got she got in at City, which was pretty awesome for her. I'm not so good at networking. So what I did was I just cold emailed a lot of places, searched up what hedge funds were in New York City. And I just cold emailed them. I said, hey, my name's Emily. Like, here's my resume. Like, I can do, I, I was wondering if you had any internships. And uh, I, that's actually how I got my first internship and uh, uh, some job offers as well. I would say just keep looking on LinkedIn, keep looking on eFinancial Careers is another good website to look at and Indeed as well to look for internships and uh, just cold email and to utilize the network that you have at your school. Yeah, I agree. As students, we need these reminders to reach out and look for internships. So thank you for that. And for our next question, can you share a little bit about your experience as a woman in the financial industry and what have you found the most challenging? I mean, I was kind of told straight up in my first internship, uh, a very realistic view of women in the finance industry. And my first internship I got from cold emailing and the manager was this Puerto Rican man. And he was very honest with me. He was like, look, as a Latina, as a Hispanic woman, you will have to work twice as hard as the white guys sitting next to you just to get to the same spot. And I was at the time, I was like this 18 year old girl. I was like, all right, whatever. But <laughs> it turned out to be actually very true. I just feel like just uh, sometimes for it to be taken seriously, you kind of need to work harder. You know, I've even at Hofstra, you know, some of the guys there, I was in the uh, student managed investment fund. I mean, I've had guys doubt my finance majors who didn't really take that many math classes just say straight to my face that I don't really know math that well and even without even like seeing me do anything and uh, we were doing competition and you know I actually did a covariance matrix to find out what the what how to optimize our portfolio and the positions in our portfolio like how much of each share should we have of this stock or that stock I guess it's pretty challenging just dealing with the comments and stuff like that certain people make I mean, if you if you're a woman and you're really not wanting to work as hard, then I don't think this industry is really for you. Um, I don't mean that in a bad way. Just really have thick skin and just be prepared for people to meet you with doubt already in their minds. But I think that women are very underestimated in this industry, which I don't think they should be. Because like I said, again, a diversified board can increase your profits by 20%. And women tend to make less risky trades and how the biggest firms in history fell were making very risky trades. And for our final question, how do you feel about Wall Street becoming more automated? 
it may, I think it helps make for a more efficient market because, you know, quantitative finance relies on data and transparency. And um, with, with the rise of quantitative finance, I think data has become more transparent now more than ever. And they don't really rely on relationships um, as much. What we see happening with quantitative finance is it's really taking over every area of finance. You know, the new frontier of quant is happening with the crypto market. You know, you see blockchains um, and, and coding happening there. Industry that's kind of untouched right now by quant is private equity, and that's because obviously all the data there is private. Um, but with the with the rise of alternative data, uh, that's soon becoming obsolete. Like private equity will soon have quantitative finance in it as well. I think that, you know, there are many things that people thought would not become automated and eventually it did. So uh, I think, you know, fundamental finance is slowly shrinking in size and quantitative finance is slowly but surely taking over. And I think it's something that shouldn't be underestimated. Awesome. And with that, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of season two. And thank you, Emily, for joining us today. Thank you for providing all these new perspectives and insights on business and finance. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for having me. It was really fun, really informative. And to check out all of our brand new content, including our brand new Rapid Fire Speaker Sessions and Terms of the Week, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify at Futures for Finance and follow our Instagram page at Futures for Finance. As always, be sure to check out all of our speakers and connect with Emily on our website at futuresforfinance.com. We'll be back with another episode, so see you then.